So, all right. Hello once again to all of our listeners out there in points unknown throughout the Cotton Belt. From California to the Carolinas, we are back from our hibernation over the winter months and the early spring months here uh, at the Cotton Companion. We have taken a few few months hiatus um, during what is often actually the busiest time of year here at Cotton Grower Magazine. Over the winter, we are tied up with events and special issues and just um, a lot of added editorial work that we do given the nature of our industry over those months. So while you guys were taking a break from the field, we were taking a break from the Cotton Companion studio uh, right here in Memphis, Tennessee. But as I say, we have returned triumphantly. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Time time will tell. Yes. I am (laughs) Beck Barnes, the publisher and editor here at Cotton Grower Magazine. And that was uh, Mr. Jim Stepman, our senior editor at the magazine. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Beck. And and one thing I do want to want to mention, uh, we did spend quite a bit of time at, at industry meetings this winter and, and were able to get face to face with a lot of our readers and, and things like that. So it's, uh, we certainly appreciate all of the good comments and and uh, and feedback that we received from you from not only from the magazine, but also from this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. If y'all see us out there, um, pull us aside. Let us know if you're listening to this, then uh, inherently you are a podcast listener. So uh, let us know how you feel about the pod uh, in any way you can. Anyhow, we'll get to that note uh, as we're doing some cleanup at the end of the episode. Let's carry on uh, as scheduled. Today is Wednesday, May the 17th. Uh, As I think I mentioned a second ago, we are coinciding our return with your return to the cab of the planter, hopefully. Uh, We're hoping you guys have gotten some good rain in this off season, getting some good rain uh, at the right time here during planting, and just uh, overall are having good weather at this crucial time of year. We want that to coincide with this recent uptick in cotton prices. Uh, I was actually talking to a room full of my coworkers and peers at Meister Media Worldwide at our corporate office. We went up to Cleveland, Ohio to our corporate office last week and I uh, kind of in passing made a comment that it was really springtime in the cotton market and I'm pretty sure the other editors who cover cover various other uh, row crops and, and vegetables and fruits thought, well, it's springtime for, for us, <laughs> springtime for everybody. Uh, but I, I had to clarify uh, it's springtime in the sense that good prices or rather better prices have returned to our market after a long absence. Um, so we are as excited about that as we know that you all are, and we figured what better way to kick off the 2017 run of Cotton Companion Podcasts, our uh, hashtag Plant17 podcast uh, today, than by taking a good hard look at those cotton prices and at the trends in this market. And we're going to do that with our old friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, who will join us a little later in the show uh, via an interview that we are conducting with him. So before that, uh, though, we're going to have Jim lead us in a discussion of the latest news items that are impacting our cotton industry, as he always does. If you're familiar with the Cotton Companion, uh, Jim leads our hard news segment, uh, is kind of what we call it in the office here. And today he's going to be touching on USDA Crop Progress Report, uh, the May WASD highlights, um, a cottonseed policy update, which we know y'all will be interested in, and he's got a little bit uh, for us on the uh, bear 
recent headline that we saw where Bayer is set to sell its Liberty brands uh, in the cotton industry, or rather in the cotton market. So he's got a couple other items of interest. It's really uh, a full show that we have for you today. Uh, as you can see, as my favorite George Costanza might say, we are back, baby. So you will want to stick around with us because you don't want to miss any of that good stuff. For now, we are going to take a quick break. You just hang around and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Cotton Companion. As Beck said, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about some of the newsier items in the industry right now. Kind of bring bring some perspective and bring people up to date uh, on where, where we stand as an industry at this point. Uh, we're going to start with the USDA Crop Progress Report. This will be the report uh, that was issued through, was issued Monday the 15th uh, for the week ending on Sunday, May 14th. Uh, at that point, out of, the, uh, out of the 15 states that USDA recognizes as primary cotton-producing states, 33% of the U.S. crop was in the ground. Uh, that was a 12% jump over the previous week, which again sort of reflects on, on, the, uh, on the weather issues that have kind of calmed down a little bit and allowed more people into the field. Uh, when you step back and look at a state-by-state -state basis, uh, we have two states that already have more than 80% of their crop in the ground. That would be Arizona and Louisiana, uh, where we've had a substantial acreage increase. And there are five states that have more than half of their crop already planted. That would be Alabama, Arkansas, California, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Uh, obviously, we're into a period right now where we've got good weather. There's adequate soil moisture uh, in most regions of, of, the, uh, of the cotton belt. And really the High Plains area of Texas where the majority, vast majority of cotton acres reside, uh, those folks are just now kind of kicking into gear over the last, uh, last few days to a week. Uh, so really when we come back to the next, uh, next Cotton Companion, we expect to see a healthy jump in planting numbers uh, as we move into these, uh, these next weekly reports. Uh, just a, a quick note, we do realize that the folks down in South Texas and the coastal plains of Texas and over into the Brazos, uh, Brazos Valley uh, have, be, have been planted for, for some time now. Uh, and those crops appear to be doing very, very well. In fact, many of them are moving into the uh, square stage uh, of maturity right now. So preliminary indications or reports out of Texas uh, are thumbs up right now. Looking at the uh, the May World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates, affectionately known as the WASDE Report. Uh, I'm just going to brush across a, a couple of key points here because I'm sure uh, when O.A. Cleveland joins us that he'll have a whole lot more detail to provide about some of these numbers. Uh, but first let's look at what's left for this 2016-17 marketing year. Uh, USDA basically has said they, re they reduced cotton production just slightly from last month. But the export forecast and exports have really been driving this market uh, for the last uh, for the last several months. They've increased the export forecast to 14 and a half million bales, uh, and that's sort of a reflection of the higher higher than anticipated export sales to date. Uh, obviously, then that means our ending stocks that are sitting there right now are also uh, lowered accordingly. For the world production in this same marketing year, 16-17. 
uh, that production is down from last month, while consumption is going up. And those, those are two numbers that we really like to see. If production's down, we want to see consumption going up because it basically lowers the ending stocks sitting in the, in, the, uh, in the world market and keeps prices kind of boosted into, into some of the areas that they are right now. Uh, they took, USDA also took a look moving ahead projecting into the 2017-18. Uh, for U.S. cotton crop, they're expecting 19.2 million bales. Uh, production rising 12%, uh, and that's going to be based on 12.2 million planted acres, as they indicated earlier uh, this spring in their prospective plantings report, uh, combined with below average abandonment uh, due to relatively favorable moisture and average yields. Uh, the other good signs in this, domestic mill use projected higher at 3.4 million bales. Exports may drop a little bit to 14 million, and I honestly think that's probably more of a precautionary uh, number at this point. Uh, but again, they're, they're anticipating supplies from some other competing countries to grow, uh, with ending stocks for the next marketing year projected at 5 million bales. Uh, as you move into the world projections for that same time period, uh, they're showing a decline in stocks of 2.4 million bales as production exceeds, or excuse me, as consumption exceeds production for the third straight season. And that's, that's really good news for the market at this point. That means even though production is rising, con, uh, consumption's projected to rise 2.3%, uh, basically because they, they look at it as the growing world economy is helping to drive mill use higher around the world. So those are, those are some things we've been missing in this market for the last several years. So it's really good to finally be able to, to say with, with some confidence that, uh, that we seem to be moving out of that. And just based on, on uh, just a, a, a quick look at where we are today, and I checked prices just before we came in uh, to our little makeshift studio here. Uh, today, uh, the cotton price on the cotton number two futures was sitting at 81.84 cents for the July 17 crop. Uh, and 74.98 cents for December cotton. So the numbers are still high hanging in there. They're still climbing higher, uh, and we'll see how the, uh, how the market plays out as production continues, uh, see if we have any weather concerns that pop up, uh, and anything else that may impact the market. But right now, everything seems to be looking really, really good. That, that, what is that, the July numbers and contracts at, what is it, 81 cents? I feel like two or three years ago, you know, people think that the editors, the beat, the people who cover the beat, so our beat is cotton, must be like experts on everything that there is to uh, to say about that specific beat. So anyhow. Please don't burst the bubble. Yeah, right. So a few years ago, uh, we would go, I would talk to people and they'd say, well, what is, you know, what is a good cotton price? Because, you know, that's, that is something that's a little ambiguous that people who don't live in the uh, farm sphere uh, they don't really understand, and that and that number is a moving target. But I would always reference this study that I had heard about that I think somebody in, in extension maybe in the mid south had done, where they pegged a break even price right at eighty one cents. Do you remember? That was um, yeah. That's been several years. Yeah, and uh, so I would always say, well, break even is about eighty one cents, about eighty one cents, and then of course these past two years we've been looking at prices in the fifty and sixty cent range, mm-hmm. and I've been and people go, well, didn't you tell me that? below 81 cents they were just you know going broke and I'm having to go well yeah (laughs) we're uh, we're just figuring out how resilient all of these growers who have been able to hang on 
over the past two years have been. So I think that break-even price kind of dropped just a little bit over the last couple of years into the into the 70s. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, part of that is growers have been able to to out yield the market conditions, and uh, and and with with higher yields and higher quality. Uh, which is what the markets are looking for, then certainly there have been some advantage, price advantages there. But to say everything has been, uh, you know, sunshine and roses for the last few years would certainly be a, a true stretch. Right, right. No, that's a good point. The yields have certainly been a uh, saving grace over this period. So anyhow, it's just good to see that those prices edging higher. Um, didn't mean to interrupt your... No, that's okay. Your, your that's okay. That's actually there. a very good segue into the next uh, into the next subject. Uh, since we're talking about on-farm finances and, and financial stress and things that seem to be fairly universal throughout the cotton market, regardless of where you are setting or where your geography may be, uh, we uh, had another snag in the, uh, in the campaign to get cotton seed uh, designated as an other oil seed uh, under the current farm bill. Uh, the, uh, obviously, the cotton industry has been working hard and diligently uh, through the efforts of the National Cotton Council uh, and with a number of other agricultural organizations who are supporting this move to put a plan in place to, uh, to get cotton designated as another oil seed which would give, allow coverage under the current farm bill. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a move uh, to include that cottonseed policy in the fiscal year 2017 Omnibus Appropriations Bill, which basically is the bill that Congress just passed to fund the government through the end of September, uh, failed. Uh, and primarily because we had some late, last-minute political maneuvering from a few folks in the dairy industry who are also struggling. And, and you know, we want to make make our point clear that we uh, we know cotton's not the only commodity sitting out there that that's in hard times, uh, but basically because of some last minute maneuvering both cotton and dairy were left on the uh, on the outside looking in following the passage of that legislation uh, that did not sit very well with uh, house ag committee chairman michael conway from texas uh, i've been in several meetings with him and several press press meetings earlier this year he is adamant that there will be a cottonseed policy uh, one way or the other uh, going into this. And his comments after this vote were, uh, uh, he certainly didn't mince any words. Uh, it's basically saying to its credit, the entire cotton industry came together on a plan to fix what is broken with respect to the safety net for cotton farmers. It was thoroughly vetted, strongly supported, and entirely paid for, which basically meant no new dollars to make this program work. Uh, he goes on to say the dairy industry has also been working hard to restore the safety net for the nation's dairy farmers. And unfortunately, uh, two dairy state senators, uh, who I will not name, insisted mm -hmm. on an $800 million plan that was cobbled together last minute. It was unvetted and totally unpaid for. And when they didn't get their way, they blocked critical relief for both cotton and dairy farmers. Uh, he was, uh, he, his comments was, he was describing things as he's extremely disappointed in the recklessness and heartlessness of such an approach. Uh, these people should not be playing games with the livelihoods of those who work hard to put food on our tables and clothes on our back. And I want to reassure the nation's farmers and ranchers that I and many of my colleagues are fully committed to correcting this wrong and seeing them through their current economic challenges. 
Obviously, the National Cotton Council was very disappointed because they put a lot of time and effort into this uh, to put it in uh, uh, to put it in a position to to be included without having to go back and open the farm bill, and that was that was their goal all along. Uh, opening the farm bill is a is a real challenge and a real danger, uh, not only for cotton but also from other some other commodities at this point. So basically, what's next? Uh, National Cotton Council has already turned its attention uh, to working with uh, our new Ag Secretary, Sonny Perdue, to see what kind of administrative options that USDA might have to help cotton producers. Uh, as you recall, this was the, uh, the similar approach we had with former Secretary Vilsack, who felt like he did not have the legal authority to make that designation. Uh, we're hoping, and uh, the industry is certainly hoping, that Secretary Perdue will look at it differently. Uh, and, and move ahead. Actually, yesterday I was looking at some news items this morning. Apparently yesterday was Secretary Perdue's first meeting with the Ag Committees and, uh, and Chairman Conaway was, was very upfront with him about uh, wanting to work together to, uh, to make this happen for both dairy and certainly for cotton. So uh, we'll see what happens over the next, uh, over the next few months. And I think oh. they had meetings today. Um, not to not to butt in, but I'm I'm actually looking. I was I follow the Cotton Council on Twitter, and I saw mm -hmm. them tweeting about this earlier today. I think uh, new Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue uh, was having a, I guess an Ag Committee uh, meeting today, and you had people like Trent Kelly, and then uh, another where was he? I want to make sure I get but Rep, Rep Rick Crawford from Rick over Crawford there from Arkansas, in Arkansas. Right. Mm -hmm who were uh, mentioning this uh, cottonseed discussion in front of Purdue again today. So it's something that, that that's today being Wednesday, what is today, the 17th, 17th, May 17th. So it's something that is very much um, still being discussed right now. I'm sure that you all may have gathered as much from what Jim was just saying, but I think that there's a little bit of renewed optimism around this topic mm -hmm. with the new Ag Secretary. And, uh, yeah, you got people like Trent Kelly specifically from down there in Mississippi. I should know that as a Mississippian. I had to look that up. He's from uh, <laughs> Mississippi's first congressional district uh, who are kind of going to bat at the moment. So this cottonseed issue is very much alive. Don't don't give up hope just yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, there are a lot of people working on behalf of the industry at this point. Quite honestly, it seems like there are more people working on behalf of the industry than there certainly have been over the last uh, last three to four years. Sure. Uh, recognize that there was a true weakness in the 2014 Farm Bill, and they're hoping to rectify that before we get into, before they start building the 2018 Farm Bill, uh, which Chairman Conaway has said they will, they will deliver on time and, and on budget uh, by next September. Uh, but basically, you know, the, they also recognize that if they can't get this done now, they're going to be going into a, a farm bill discussion and debate uh, where there will be less dollars uh, and just as many hands uh, reaching into the into the pot for uh, for funding as there are right now. So uh, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, contact your state representatives and your state senators and, Do and continue to ask for their support in uh, in making this happen. Um, Moving on, and, and just a couple of quick items here. Uh, we spent a lot of time over the past year looking at some of these proposed mergers in the industry. Um, just a quick update as best we can, we can come up with at this point, since none of them are completely final, but they're all looking like some are moving into the home stretch. 
at this point. Uh, first will be ChemChina and Syngenta. Looks like it has received uh, most of the necessary approvals it needs, uh, not only from the European Union, but also from, uh, from some of the U.S. regulatory agencies. So we anticipate that one will be settled pretty quickly. Uh, Dow and DuPont are still moving ahead. Uh, they also have gotten approval from uh, the European Union. Uh, saw today where they got approval from, uh, from Brazil. Uh, for their merger. So again, that one's moving ahead. Uh, there have been some, uh, excuse me, DuPont announced that they are divesting uh, some of their insecticide, in fact most of their insecticide lines, which FMC has moved in to purchase. Um, and looking at, at the other last merger that's sitting out there with Bayer Monsanto, uh, the news came down last week that Bayer has uh, agreed to sell the Liberty herbicide and the Liberty Link branded seeds businesses uh, to help uh, gain approval of its acquisition of Monsanto. I don't think any of this comes as a huge surprise uh, in the market, but this is really kind of uh, kind of verifying what most of us has, have suspected for a while. Uh, they're basically saying the sale of, of the two brands uh, are will account for the bulk of asset sales worth about $2.5 billion necessary to satisfy competition regulate, regulators and that's regulators from uh, around the world uh, at this point. Uh, this requirement came out of South Africa, uh, but it's also expected to, uh, to be required by the United States and the European Union as this merger moves ahead. So uh, look for, if, uh, if this deal goes through, look for a new home or a new owner in place for, uh, for Liberty and the Liberty Link Seeds business in the market. Also looking ahead, now that we're in production season, uh, Transform, the uh, uh, insecticide out of Dow AgriSciences, uh, has gotten Section 18 emergency use exemptions uh, for this season in select states uh, for two different, two, different, uh, two different crops, two different pests. Uh, Section 18 for plant bug management in cotton in Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Tennessee, and Texas. And if you're, in, uh, if you're also a sorghum grower, uh, there's a Section 18 exemption for control of sugarcane aphid in Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Georgia, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia. So it's good to, uh, uh, good to keep tran transform in the, in the product mix as we move into this season, knowing how valuable it is against uh, plant bugs and certainly the sugarcane aphid. And the last item I wanted to touch on, uh, something we may have talked about before, but now that production season is here, uh, plants and crops are going in the ground, and in some cases, uh, fields are already being treated. Uh, wanted to, uh, to one last mention on the Flag the Technology program uh, that helps identify crop fields sensitive to certain herbicides. This is a program that came out of Arkansas several years ago, and it allows farmers to identify their fields that are safe for application and those that have to be avoided to prevent unintentional damage to uh, the, either the producer's field or certainly to adjacent crops. And this involves planting colored flags at entry points on the fields. Each flag color represents a different type of technology and helps make applicators aware which products are appropriate and safe to use on a specific field. Now just a quick recap uh, on the flag colors and the uses. Uh, because this program is, has really gained traction, certainly 
coming out of Arkansas, Texas A&M AgriLife has embraced this program. Uh, University of Tennessee has embraced it. I think Mississippi State has most of the most of the cotton producing areas have have this program or a variation on this program in place. But <coughs> excuse me, uh, if you see a white flag, that means the technology is is tolerant to glyphosate. If you see a green flag, it's tolerant to glufosinate or Liberty. A yellow flag. Um, basically is for clearfield rice, sunflowers, wheat, and canola, uh, which are tolerant to the, let me see if I can pronounce this correct, imidazolinone herbicides, and I probably messed that up, sorry. Uh, a teal colored flag is tolerant for 2,4-D or the Enlist technologies. Uh, if there are white stripes on that flag, it indicates tolerance to glyphosate. Uh, and if you're using the Enlist product or the Enlist technology this year, uh, you should also add a green flag to denote tolerance to liberty. If you have a black and white checkered flag, it does not mean necessarily the end of a NASCAR race. It just means that the, uh, the technology in the field is tolerant to dicamba and glyphosate. So this would basically be the Extendflex technology. And should you see a red flag, uh, it means extreme caution required. That means there are some conventional crops with no traits in the area. Uh, and these could be things such as vegetables, vineyards, uh, apiaries, uh, organic production, areas that you certainly do not want herbicide to move off your field and into. Uh, if you want a little bit more explanation on it, uh, let, me, let me suggest that you go to utcrops.com uh, on their news blog. And Dr. Larry Steckel, who's the uh, University of Tennessee Extension Weed Specialist, has done a great job in about a two and a half minute video explaining the flag the technology program and uh, and how they should be how those flags should be displayed and what they mean yep yeah we have been big proponents of that as you were listing off all the the smart guys who are embracing that program uh, us two at cotton grower uh, have also kind of been uh, supportive that just seems to me like it's good good common sense uh, that program so kudos to I believe it's University of Arkansas folks who came up with it right absolutely Bob so, Scott deserves a lot, a lot of credit on yeah, that yeah yeah uh, is that it is that it that's for, it all right <laughs> I should know I should have that in my notes <laughs> but we had an extensive uh, news section today so good job Jim uh, I guess when you have somewhere around four five, and a half, five yeah, months. Four and a half, five months. Yeah. Not that anything's happened in <laughs> yeah. that time period. Of news to catch up on. It might run a little long. So, uh, Jim, we appreciate you as always. We are going to take a quick music break, music divider, and on the flip side of that, we will be bringing you an interview with the world-renowned uh, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, uh, Professor Emeritus of Ag Economics there at Mississippi State University. Uh, I'm sure he won't be reminding this old Miss boy about the Egg Bowl this year or anything like that. I, I can only hope. Uh, so stick with us. We will be right back to talk about this cotton market. So I am joined right now by a long 
longtime friend of Cotton Grower Magazine. He is a professor emeritus of economics or ag economics. He can correct me if I'm wrong. There at Mississippi State University, uh, I am with Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Dr. Cleveland, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Beck. Well, man, I, I appreciate you joining us. Um, this is, you may not know, but we have been on a little bit of a sabbatical here uh, at the Cotton Companion Podcast, and we are getting back going as our guys are getting in the cab of the planter and getting uh, this 2017 season going. And over the time that we have been out, man, this, this cotton market's been moving, and it's been it's been good. It's good for, for me and you, OA, for sure, and good for our listeners who are cotton producers. Um, and I know here recently it's really been rocketing up over the past week. You wrote a great column for us at cottongrower.com uh, earlier this week. It was titled Market is Holding but Lock-In Prices Now. Uh, tell us uh, what you were uh, analyzing there in your market analysis in your most recent column. Well, thank you so very much, and I will. And uh, the punchline is not lock them in now, though I would begin that way and say lock in some prices now for the 2017 crop. I think that's imperative. But uh, more of the punchline for, for this week, probably more so, is the fact that the market has just rocketed higher. We've talked at length for several months about these on-call sales uh, that the mills have, and that they had to resolve that. And the only the way they can resolve that is by buying futures. And as the months have uh, progressed, they've been able to roll forward and roll forward. But now there's only one old crop month left, and that's July, and they can't roll any further. And all of a sudden, they came, we came up last week, and they had a roughly approximately 4.6 million bales of cotton that had to be fixed in the futures market within the next 30 trading days. And now that's down to roughly about 27 trading days. So time is ticking, and they were just running out of time when they had this huge volume of cotton that had to be fixed. As a consequence, the uh, they caught themselves in a squeeze of their own making. The specs just basically wouldn't let them out. So the market had to move higher and higher in order for the mills to buy the cotton uh, to get out of the market. And uh, that's what uh, they, they got caught in that trap. The specs held tight for a couple of days and drove this market up to 86, 87 cents before they finally relented. Uh, we've certainly come down now. We would not be surprised to see the market go back up a time or two. I don't think we've gotten rid of the volatility. We've taken care of a lot of the mill sales, but they on call sales. But when you're talking four point six million bales, you're not going to take care of that in just four or five trading days. So the, the old crop of July has still got a lot of upside potential. No, I, doubt, I would suspect we've done the high without question, period. But uh, we're still going to flutter around up there and see what we can do. The, uh, as I say, the, the, the specs just wouldn't, were caught there and just would not let the, the, the mills out. And as a consequence, the, the trade, the the, the mills were trading through the, the trade, so the trade just had, had to basically gang up, so to speak, and uh, try to pump it to the specs just a little bit in order to force the specs to let the, let the mills out. They did some of that, and uh, if we are where we are now, the markets come down. As we went up uh, and saw this, we also began to get extremely concerned, and we talked about it, that 
we get prices up above 80 cents, uh, we start to lose textile business. We, we lose mill business to export to, uh, to polyester. We lose exports here in the U.S. market. And where, as we were, essentially sold out, didn't have just a little bit more cotton we could sell at the export market. This, uh, this, this jump up to 82 cents, 83 cents, and on up to 85 and 86 cents, that just absolutely turned the spigot completely off, totally tight in cutting off exports. We're get, beginning to get some export cancellations now, and what that will do is it's going to mean that we're not going to sell out of cotton this year, cotton that we would have sold this year. Some of it, maybe as much as 500,000, maybe even 750,000 bales, hopefully not, but possibly, will come back and sit on the 2017 crop, and that's just cotton that we're going to have to disappear as we try to sell the 2017 new crop. So net, 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 it's bad for the cotton industry because it tends to, with those very few growers, and bless their hearts, they were able to hold on and get 84, 85 cents. Uh, but those are just a mere sprinkle with respect to the 2017 crop that needs to be fixed, and it's going to hang on the 17 crop. But at the same time, 17 crop is not getting ready to December is not getting ready to disappear on us. There's a lot of pressure to show that uh, the December side, excuse me, that the 2017 crop can get in the ground, can come up, can make a, we can get a good stand, and we can push this crop forward. It's a little late in some places due to the moisture, and that's a little underlining and underpinning the support, the solid, solid support. We've got around 72 cents, maybe as low as 71 cents. But right now, we're blessed in being able to see this December trade, 74, 75 cents. And as long as this these mill on-call sales exist for probably another 20 days or so, uh, we'll, we'll continue to get some pretty good support for the December. But December has to, uh, that, uh, the, the, that, that, that price swing has got to gingerly move down, assuming we get this crop in the ground. We're looking for a big crop, maybe even larger than what USDA is pegging it. Uh, so at the same time, we've got a lot of time to go before we can show that uh, this, this crop is going to be there. So the market is really wants to pay attention and not really disappear the 2017 prices we've gotten until it shows that we can get some big crop in. I hear you. I, you just touched on I was going to ask you. I know it's not your uh, job or, or area of expertise to make an acreage prediction, but I was wondering if you thought we were going to be inching up over that 12.2 million acres that USDA projected. I mean, do you, this kind of late run of good prices, do you think that's encouraging some more planting? It probably is. There's the conventional wisdom, particularly because we're so late planting in some areas. Not so late, but based on typical normal years, it's late, so it could draw some more acreage in. The conventional wisdom, instead of the 12.2 that USDA is reporting, could be as high as 12.5 million acres. That's getting a little bit on the high side. We do need the cotton. Uh, as we look, look to the export numbers down the road, exports probably in 2017-18 probably won't match what we've had this year, but at the same time, they will be very robust. Uh, we will probably build U.S. stocks this year, but world stocks will continue to come down. So the U.S. is going to need cotton, uh, and I know you asked more about the plantings for this time, but are here just what, what's going in the ground now, and we'll be going in for another buck or so. But I'm going to jump ahead just a little bit on you. As we look down to 2018, 2019, and 2020, we, actually the U.S. is going to need at least another million acres planted over and above where we are now. 
Uh, there are some that suggest that we may need a million and a half, a million seven hundred fifty thousand more acres. What we're seeing now is that we're we're going to build exports. The Chinese, as they disappear their uh, national reserve, and they're doing that at a very solid rate. They've been very true to their word about disappearing that, and they've done it just exactly as they said they would. So come next year, uh, 12 months from today, 12 months, 15 months from today, we're going to need a lot of cotton ready to to hit the export market. So consequently, as we get into 18, 19, and 20, we're going to need another million and a half bales, excuse me, another million and a half uh, acres planted to cotton. So the cotton future down the road is extremely bright, I would say. That's good. Again, that's that's great news if you're the editor of Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, that's right. <laughs> the more acres, the better. I uh, I heard you uh, uh, a minute ago, OA, and you were mentioning the specs. Um, to me, uh, and I just read a story in the Wall Street Journal just yesterday about how the speculators were kind of playing in cotton and maybe behind a lot of this kind of leap higher that we've seen here the past few days. Today's Wednesday, May 17th. Um, I, I, I mentioned this to you earlier. I, I have nightmare flashbacks to 2008 when we had all these speculators, uh, speculative action in the market, and it was so disruptive to a lot of our traders, uh, particularly here in Memphis. Uh, a lot of old, respected names were really turned upside down during that time period. Uh, do I have any cause for concern this go round that we will see? You know that uh, uh, harsh of a uh, movement here. Beck, I understand exactly what you're saying, and I would say that 2010 fits this mold, too, uh, where we had just excessive speculation in the market as we got toward the end of the old crop months. But, no, I don't think it compares in that regard from the standpoint of that speculation started in the March, or at least it started to show itself in the March and in the May contracts, uh, whereas while speculation has been there all along in these both in the March and the May that have expired, it's not been that excessive uh, with respect to how it's affected the market. And so this time it's just affecting it in, 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 on the July contract. That's why I, I do say I hold out uh, reservations in saying the high is in, but the high is very close to being in. This uh, end of last week, first part of this week, it was just evident that there were, the specs were not going to sell anything. The specs now have made ample profits, excellent profits, and it makes sense that they start taking some of those profits out of the market rather than letting them ride just to see what they can do. There's about 350,000 bales of cotton that can still be, that can be delivered against the contract, but you look at cotton available around the world delivered to Asia, you get U.S. cotton delivered to Asia, you can buy it today uh, for cheaper than you can get it on the board. So it makes sense that what little trade is going on it's less than the future price, so consequently that should tell us that the, hopefully it tells us that futures may have some more volatility, but it does not have that kind of squeeze now uh, after the fact that it, we had in eight, 2008-2010. Uh, I would come back and say what we saw on Monday, probably prior to, to Monday, the highest trade we'd ever seen 
futures and options was around, I'm using round numbers now, around 100,000 contracts in a single day. This past Monday, we traded in round numbers approximately 150,000 contracts. So it didn't break the record. It totally shattered the record of trading. And as I think we've probably gotten the worst of it out of the way, I think the uh, trade now is grouped and they're paired in case some other uh, attack comes of that nature. Uh, they were caught off guard as well as the mills, but uh, had to know some of it was coming because, we, I mean, we've just preached these mill on call sales were so imbalanced. Uh, so I, I think that's done. I don't think we have that great worry. Still have to be a little worried about your issue, but not great worry. Very good, Oway. Man, you, you are a thorough answerer, and I and I appreciate that, my man. And I little pay is you, good. Thank you. <laughs> I want to uh, <laughs> thank you for joining us today. As always, we appreciate you. Dr. Oway Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Economics there at Mississippi State University. You have yourself a good afternoon, sir. Well, back, back, give a gift of cotton today, and thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Oway. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, that will just about do it for this, uh, the 26th installment, I believe, of the Cotton Companion you podcast. Are <laughs> we are uh, we are doing a new subscription drive, uh, as you may have noticed on one of our platforms, digital, print, or here on the Cotton Companion podcast. Uh, we are tying a piece of that to the podcast platform. If you're listening to this, you may have already signed up. Uh, you uh, may have been asked to give us your email address, for example, uh, in order to reach the archived podcast. So if you've done that, we thank you. Uh, other ways you can help, if you haven't subscribed to our e-newsletter or to our magazine in a while, please visit cottongrower.com. Do me a favor, scroll to the bottom of the homepage. You'll see a link to subscribe at the bottom. And uh, even if you are still receiving those things, when you resubscribe, you help us keep a more refreshed better uh, subscription list. It's kind of the lifeblood of our marketing or our uh, uh, business plan here at Cotton Grower Magazine. So that's that's my sales pitch. That's as much as I can do. We thank you sincerely for joining us today. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about this podcast, the Cotton Companion Podcast. We plan on being with you uh, this production season much more regimented, much more uh, regularly. Um, I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I am going to do a better job. Our goal is to come at you every two weeks. We will record on Wednesdays, and we'll have the podcast to you there within a day or so. So uh, you can look for us at the same spot, the same time, uh, every two weeks, twice monthly. So, again, you like what you're hearing? The best way you can... Uh, you can reach the podcast. There Actually, there are three easy ways to reach the podcast. The first is simply to go to cottongrower.com, uh, go to the search bar, and type in Cotton Companion. That ought to take you to a landing page that has all 26 now of our archived episodes of this very podcast. The second is uh, by subscribing to our channel on iTunes. For those of you who are familiar with uh, iTunes, you have a, a smartphone, an iPhone, uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to our channel uh, that way 
if you do that, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think about the podcast. That would be uh, you'd be doing us a real favor by going that route. The third and uh, a great way to be sure you are receiving each installment of the Cotton Companion is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Uh, Jim here works hard to pack that thing with all of the relevant news of the day, uh, and it hits your mailbox like clockwork. Uh, your email inbox, I should say, each Tuesday morning uh, and occasionally on Thursday mornings during production season as well. You can do that by, as I said earlier, going to cottongrower.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you will find a link there to subscribe to our e-newsletter. It is easy peasy, I promise. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter, and on Facebook, you can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. We hope that you are enjoying our latest issue, which is, at this point, the... Our May-June issue. May-June issue, that's right. We had a combined issue for May-June. That should be hitting mailboxes here within the next week or so. There you go. Keep an eye out for it. Um, yeah, we hope, we hope that you will enjoy it. This podcast is produced by Mr. Mark Antonelli. He works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Steppen, we wish you and your cotton farming operation all the best. <laughs>